0: So good morning everyone. My name is Al Westerman. I'm the pastor here, as has been previously mentioned. It's my birthday today, and if you like numbers, it's a prime number, and that kind of makes me happy. So I'm, th- I'm 37 today. It's a, it's a joy to be able to privilege words. It's a joy and a privilege to be able to share with you this morning, and today I'm going to be sharing about A biblical view of wisdom, and it's slightly different than the way that we typically view it. Who was the wisest person to have ever lived? Typically the answer is Solomon, right? I mean, obviously Jesus was wiser, but Jesus was also God. So Solomon is usually considered to be the wisest person that wasn't also God. Now it depends on how you define wisdom. So Solomon is defined by the wisdom of the Old Testament, which was the Hebrew word Hokma. Fun word, right? Chokmah was usually described as wisdom, although it could be translated skill as well. And what we take this to mean is that Solomon was very skilled in terms of intellect. And As a scientist and as an author, he was exceptional. He studied trees, he studied animals, he studied weather patterns, he studied all these things and he had insight into them as no one else previously had. Furthermore, he had wealth that was and still is completely unprecedented. He was a designer and an architect. And again, it's unlike anything the world has ever seen. But is that how we define wisdom? Is that how the Bible defines wisdom? Isaiah 5.21 says, Woe to you who are wise in your own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Isaiah, through the inspired word of God, cautions people to not consider themselves to be self-sufficient. In doing so, they would limit their potential of receiving from God. Paul in 1 Corinthians 8.1 says, Now we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. And there are a lot of people walking around with puffed up chests and high views on themselves, and that's what the wisdom of this world can do. Now, from the worldly perspective that we have of being an author and a scientist, Solomon was extremely wise, He had all that going really strong. But James, the New Testament author James, wants to clarify and biblically define wisdom. Wisdom is not necessarily your genetic predisposition. If you remember, before Solomon had actually received wisdom from God, David claims that Solomon was exceptionally wise. So Here we have Solomon, who was born with and nurtured exceptional chokmah, this wisdom. He had all this potential. He had acquired all this knowledge. But that's not how James clarifies the wisdom from above. James clarifies it and defines it as evidenced by the fruit of a good life, by the relationships that you have, and by the peace that you bring. We're at Auburn Bible Chapel. We're in the middle of a series on James. It's called A Faith That Works. So turn with me to James, if you would. It should be right around page 978, if you're using a pew Bible. Last week, Paul talked about the taming of the tongue earlier in James 3. And this is really just watching, like the thoughts that are birthed in your heart and what proceeds from your mouth. This week, James takes a shift from what we say to what we do. Asking, what are, is the fruit that's created by the actions that we take? So to do this, we're going to look at James 3, 13 to 18. Let's pray. Holy God, we come to you this morning on this beautiful August day. And we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to come and worship together, to come and praise your holy name. God, you are worthy of it all. And it's our joy to, in humility, come before you and hear what the Bible has to say about wisdom and how the Bible defines wisdom. And God, may we, May we receive not what I have, but what you have for all of us here this morning. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. James 3, starting at 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But... If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But... The wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure. Then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. James here begins with a really interesting question. He asks, who is wise and understanding among you? Basically, what he's asking here is, who is legitimately walking the walk? If we continue to talk about Solomon, we've established that as a scientist, he was impressive. And as an author, he was quite profound. Proverbs is an exceptional book, and I'll even be referencing it later today. But did Solomon legitimately walk the walk? He was an intellectual. He knew a great many things. But did he put them into practice? Because that's what counts. And we know that he didn't. He had a lust for women. And he had acquired many wives. And even many foreign wives. And they caused him to fall into idol worship. And they actually tempted him to be pulled away from the God that loved him. So if wisdom is the fruit of your life, then Solomon had all of this potential, but did he live his life wisely? James asks, who is wise and understanding among you? And then he says this, let him show it by their good life. Now Solomon's life didn't end well, and many call Solomon the wisest person to have ever lived. But considering how James clarifies wisdom, I'm going to push back on this a little bit. Wisdom is evidenced by the fruit of our lives, and our lives should look different than the world around us. In the text here, James highlights two different streams that we can take. The first is the wisdom that comes from below. We see this in verses 14 to 16, the wisdom, it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. This is the wisdom of the world, or this is actually, if you will, it's following the pattern of this world. The second stream we find in verses 17 and 18, and this is the wisdom that comes from heaven, the wisdom that comes from above. This is essentially the transforming of our minds. And we actually see both of these in Romans 12 too, don't we? Therefore, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So one stream is the pattern of this world, and the other stream takes us to the renewing of our mind that happens in Christ Jesus. So we're going to begin with the wisdom from below, the wisdom, earthly wisdom. And I think the best way to set this is with Proverbs 14, 12. Great verse. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end leads to death. And this is a really good way to understand the wisdom from below because the wisdom from below is all about feeling good in the moment. And selfishness feels really good in the moment. Indulgence feels really good in the moment. The wisdom of the world would say, pursue pleasure. It would say if it feels good do it even if you shouldn't that that should be a song T- toyota toyota has really good vehicles really like their vehicles but they had one of the worst advertising campaigns that I've ever heard i personally it said i want what i want and i want it now that was anyone remember that good but it was an advertising campaign and i just My inner Jesus guy didn't like it. Um, This is all about, this is the wisdom of the world. It's becoming the wisdom of the world. It's all about glorifying, illuminating, and gratifying yourself. You took offense to that because you have a Toyota, didn't you? It's fine. (laughs) I had a Toyota, too. It was a good vehicle. Just bad advertising. If, If we look at something like bullying... Bullying is something that feels good in the moment. In the moment, it kind of feels good to assert dominance over someone. But if we continue to belittle people, what is the fruit of that? Well, eventually, people don't really want to be around you, and so the fruit of bullying is loneliness. We could also look at financial irresponsibility. Doing as Toyota would suggest. Wanting what you want and wanting it now. Just acting on your impulses. Financially responsibility, if you didn't already know this, is a ton of fun. It's a lot of fun to just blow money without regard for what's going to happen in the future. But what's the fruit of financially responsibility? It's poverty. It's struggle. It's strife. And all the po- problems that come along with going along with your impulsive moments of greed. And the same could be said for infidelity or intoxication. These are things that the world actually praises. And if not infidelity, then certainly promiscuity. The world praises these things, and it says this is where you're going to find your fulfillment. But what is the actual fruit of these? It's brokenness, disappointment, despair, and emptiness. The first thing we notice that James mentions about earthly wisdom is that bitterness comes. Bitterness asks the question, do you know what they did to me? Do you know what they did to me? To the world, this is a wise question because it's guarding your heart. But the problem with the wisdom that comes from the world is that there's no chance of reconciliation or forgiveness. It's having a right to be offended And holding on to that right. Do you know what they did to me? James also talks about envy and jealousy, and I think we can kind of lump those together. They ask the question is it fair? Is it even? Is it square? This is what the wisdom of the world seeks for. Another one, and James actually lists it twice once in verse 14, another time in verse 16 it's selfish ambition. Now, Selfish Ambition asks, how does this benefit me? What do I get from that? And it focuses on yourself. It puts the spotlight on yourself, and it tries to find fulfillment there. It's amazing when you think about it, isn't it? How many self-help books there are, self-promotion, all these books that are about yourself. Now, I'd like to let you guys in on a little secret you weren't made for yourselves. So to try to find fulfillment and satisfaction in yourself, it's sadly laughable. It's laughable to think that you could find fulfillment within yourself. Here's, here's another secret. <laughs> if you want to know the secret to being miserable for your whole life, it's this. Ready? Focus on yourself. And if you can do that, if you can maintain just focusing on yourself, I promise you, you're well positioned to have a miserable life. Instead, we find fulfillment when we shift our focus, our attention, and even the spotlight off of ourselves and on to God. And when we live for the glory of God and we live for his kingdom and we live for his children, we find a satisfaction that we couldn't find otherwise. But the wisdom of the world says differently. The wisdom of the world says, focus on yourself, invest in yourself, boast about yourself. James mentions that too. If you remember reading it, he said, do not boast about it or deny the truth. And I think boasting and denying the truth actually pretty well go together. You hear people say these things. I'm a self-made man. Uh, I'm a self-made millionaire. I'm a self-made self, 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 self. It's all about themselves, and in this they're boasting, but they're also denying the truth. James wrote earlier, and Brian preached on it, that every good and perfect gift comes from above. Also, we're all members of community, and no one has gotten anywhere by themselves. It is by community that we're spurred forward. So, in making these proclamations of yourself, you are denying the truth. Focusing on yourself and being wise in your own eyes, they've These lead to security, insecurity. What's interesting is that the people that align with this, they'll actually listen to your ideas and they'll hear you out, but with one condition. It has to line up with their opinion. They'll listen to your opinion if it lines up with theirs. One quote I heard that summarizes this really well, it's a a pretty good anti-wisdom-wise stance, and it says that, People don't actually want to hear your opinion. They want to hear their opinion coming out of your mouth. And for the people that are wise in their own eyes, it's very hard for them to hear opinions that are contrary to theirs. It's very hard for them to receive feedback, and they are constantly insisting on their own way. So we preface this section, the wisdom from below, with Proverbs 14.12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end leads to death. That's the beginning of it. Where does it all lead? In verse 16, James mentions that it leads to disorder. And that's the fruit of the wisdom that comes from below. It's disorder, it's distrust, it's discord. That's what copying the pattern of this world leads to. So the wisdom from below leads to disorder and all that. Whereas the wisdom that comes from above leads to peace. The Old Testament word, as I've used before, for wisdom is hokma, which has a lot to do with skill. The New Testament word is probably a lot more with how we understand wisdom. It's sophia. That's the Greek word for it. Nice name, too. And what this is more centered around is sense and understanding. I don't think either of those definitions really encapsulated what James thought a biblical view of wisdom should be, and so he sets to clarify it. Its Wisdom is not about your intellectual pre, uh, prowess. It's not about what you know or how much you know. And if we're talking about the wisdom from above we could think that maybe this has to do with how many scriptures we have memorized or how many we can reference or how many words we know in Greek or Hebrew, but it's not about any of those things. Those things may be important, but that's not what the wisdom from above is all about. It's about peace. It's about relationships. It's about a life well lived. And similar to true faith, True wisdom is evidenced by the quality of life that it produces. Your lifestyle is the evidence or the fruit. And when we talk about fruit, which I have many times and I will continue to throughout this message, it's almost like putting the cart before the horse. Because fruit doesn't really come from a decision. Track with me here. The tree doesn't, Decide to produce fruit. Instead, it's the consequence of previous decisions. A seed is planted and then it's continually connected with streams of living water, and then it continues to grow and grow and grow. Fruit, then, is the inevitable product. In our lives, the inevitable fruit of connection with God is good relationships and a rich life. When we talk about fruit, we're talking about outcome, but we have to understand that this came from a decision of saying yes to Jesus and to be continually connected to him. The wisdom from above is birthed by and continually accessed by humility. That's a very important thought. A powerful way to preface the wisdom from above comes from Proverbs 3, 5 to 13. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those who he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. Blessed are those who find wisdom those who gain understanding. Now, there are a lot of really good thoughts in those verses. And Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 are extremely popular. Here we see that not leaning on our own understanding, or better said differently, not believing in your own sufficiency, but rather in all of your ways, submitting to him, he makes your path straight. He then says the same thing as Isaiah, to not be wise in your own eyes. There's a humility that's necessary here. And then he goes on to say the fruit or the benefits that come with living life this way. And it's health for your body and wealth. He says that your barns and your vats and your vineyards will all overflow. He said, God will bless you in what you're doing when in humility and submission you do things his way. Now, maybe this is hard to visualize. So I'll use a metaphor to illustrate. I'll use one that James has used a couple times throughout the book, and it's that of a horse. A wild horse is going around pretty well, doing things on his own, living his own life, living for his own purpose. But there's a process that takes place when a horse becomes tamed. We call the horse being, the the process being broken, right? It's being broken to be fixed, or it's being broken to be made whole. But essentially what happens during this process with the horse Is that the horse comes to the end of its own will? It comes to the end of its own self. And instead of living for the horse's own selfish desires, it enters into its master's business, comes into agreement with what the master has for him, and aligns himself with the purpose of the master. What happens next is that the horse enters into an adventure the horse gets to adventure with the master and see things it would have never seen. It gets to experience things that it would have never been able to experience. The horse is able to live into a purpose that it could have never understood otherwise. By submitting in humility to the master's will, the horse is granted a much richer life. For us... When we recognize that what God has for us is infinitely greater and better than what we have for ourselves, we have the potential to enter into something greater. God has a purpose for our lives and he has an adventure for our lives that in humility we get to enter into. The wisdom from above is birthed and continually accessed by humility. In verse 17, we see that James begins to list what the wisdom from above looks like. I don't know about you, but I was very surprised when I read this list. It didn't align with my view of wisdom. It didn't align with how I considered wisdom to be. It just seems a little off, doesn't it? It seems a bit odd but he says the wisdom that comes from above is first of all pure now that word first of all is the word protos and i'm not going to say many more words in greek and hebrew today but that word is the same word to which we get prototype it's actually also the same word that was describing jesus as the firstborn of all creation that we read in colossians 1 Through him, all things were created. And through purity, all the rest of the fruit or the benefits of wisdom come. It's the funnel or the tube or the roadway to which we receive everything else. It's purity. To me, this seems backwards. This seems weird. Like I would not think to connect wisdom and purity. But this is what James does. And perhaps he was taking a note from Jesus and he wants us to be pure in heart. It's recorded in Matthew 5.8 that Jesus says, Blessed are the pure at heart for they will see God. Everything wisdom-wise flows through purity. We also see that wisdom is not antagonistic or weak. In verse 17, James continues to say that the wisdom is peace-loving, considerate, submissive, and full of wisdom mercy. Wisdom is neither weak nor antagonistic. And we really see this a lot in the life of Jesus. Jesus encouraged people to turn the other cheek or to walk the other mile, but this wasn't a sign of weakness. This was actually a sign of strength. Furthermore, Jesus was the door. He wasn't the doormat. People couldn't just walk all over Jesus. He had the potential and did stand up for himself. He was also able to redirect and navigate conversations and always in the direction of restoration and reconciliation. In terms of being antagonistic, he was never unnecessarily harsh. Let's be clear. Jesus was certainly a disruptor of the peace but he always did so with love, and he always did so wanting people to be restored to himself and wanting people to be restored to the Father. When we look at the character of Jesus, we see so much wisdom in his actions. Intellectually, Jesus was astonishing. But unlike Solomon, he persisted in living out the knowledge that he possessed. Jesus was always investing into relationships. He was always working toward peace. And as you continue to study the life of Jesus, you'll continually see this over and over again. We also see in verse 17 that the wisdom comes like fruit. Now, we talked about this a little bit before, but in humility, in humbly accepting the seed that's planted in you, wisdom comes like fruit. When we talk about fruit like this, Perhaps your mind goes to the same place mine does. Mine goes to the fruit of the Spirit. Now, we know the the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Interestingly enough, the fruit of the Spirit sounds a lot like the fruit of wisdom. Now We don't know exactly why, but we have to take some guesses here. But I'm going to guess that because... James was one of the first books written in the New Testament that he didn't necessarily have the language or the resources to describe the working of Holy Spirit, because in his letter there's no reference to the working of Holy Spirit. He mentioned Spirit later on, but nothing to this, so I'm curious if, if he just didn't have the language or if he didn't have the resources available, but instead what we see is that James is observing what's happening when God comes into someone's life. He's observing the difference that it makes of the renewed mind. When we receive the mind of Christ, these are the things that happen. And so James is noticing all of this. And he is noticing the fruit of wisdom is a peaceful life. Lastly, we see that the wisdom that comes from above is action-based. Going one more time to Solomon. It's not about knowledge. It's not about what you know or what you can memorize. It's action-based. It's about living it out. And we see this in Matthew 7 when Jesus is talking about building your house upon the rock. An extremely misunderstood concept, building your life upon the rock. You even hear Christian songs get it wrong i'll build my life upon your love it's a firm foundation now we're not is that what the rock is is that what it is to build your life upon the rock is to build your life upon jesus or to build your life even upon the love of jesus those are good things but is that what jesus says the rock is no it's that's not it is it the bible kind of not really it's it's a little closer to it what Jesus is saying and what he literally says in the text is is to listen to the words of Jesus and to put them into practice. Matthew 7, 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house upon the rock. Unlike Solomon, we are to be finishers. We are to endure till the end. To experience the sustainability and adherence of this long term and that's what's required that is what wisdom brings us to we concluded if you remember we concluded that the wisdom from below leads to discord distrust etc and then the wisdom from above leads to peace it's peace for the community. And the wisdom of your life is evidenced by the relationships that you have. It's evidenced by the peace that you bring. And it's evidenced by the way that you make the people around you feel. And that's what true wisdom is. So where are you at? What is the fruit of your life? What is it saying about the fruit of your life, about what you're connected to, who you're connected to. How are the relationships? How is the peace in your life? And if things aren't where you want them to be, then what do you do about it? Charles Spurgeon has an interesting answer to this, and I'll conclude with this. Jesus invites those who labor, labor, and are heavy laden to come to him and he will give them rest. He does not promise this to their merely dreaming about him. They must come and come to him. Not merely to the church or to baptism or to the orthodox faith or to anything short of his divine person. Spurgeon here is saying that if you want the evidence of a life lived with Jesus whether that's the fruit of wisdom whether that's the fruit of the spirit or the peace that it is Jesus that gives them and this goes so far past your intentions or your potential coming to Jesus and experiencing these benefits that we've been talking about is not does not come from your desires this isn't even about going to church although meeting together is necessary It's not sufficient. This isn't about baptism. This isn't about identifying yourself as a believer. This isn't even about orthodox faith or orthodox theology. It's not about having proper understanding. Again, all of those things are important, but they fall short of the ultimate goal. All of these things, it all leads and points to being with our creator. It comes to meeting with him. In doing so, we gain access to peace. We gain access to love. We gain access to kindness. All of this is found in nothing short than the divine person of Jesus Christ and meeting with him. And Father God, when we think about the last time in James said, Wisdom is mentioned where it says, if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask. And God, I just, I just ask that anyone in this room who is feeling like, I want to see this be the fruit of my life, that all we have to do is we come to you and ask. We ask you, Lord, would, you, would we be able to see the fruit of wisdom in our lives more and more? God, we thank you that you don't give as the world gives. You don't even give based off our merit. You don't give based off how good we think we are. You give because you are good. And it is out of your character and your nature that you give. God, we thank you that every good and perfect gift comes from above. And God, so we ask and we receive your wisdom. Thank you that we can come to the person of Jesus Christ that we can experience you on a Sunday, but just as much so on a Tuesday or a Thursday. Thank you, Lord, that you have not abandoned us, you've not left us as orphans, but that you said that you would come to us. We pray all this in your name. Amen.